Good morning, Bridge of Hope, and God bless you. Uh, we are so grateful to be able to come into your homes this morning and to be able to worship together. Um, we're going to be diving into the Word right now, and uh, we just pray that you would have a, uh, a humble spirit, a prayerful mind that will be able to uh, that the Lord will be able to move in us and transform us and mold us through His Word. That is our prayer for me. Uh, that is our prayer for for all of us and so let's uh, let's dive right in um, we're going to be reading in our scripture from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 14 um, we are continuing the series uh, that our pastor began titled armed and ready amen so Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 14 says a final word be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against all evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. And today, the scripture that we're going to be focusing on says, verse 14, Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Amen armed and ready and today we're going to be focusing on the belt of truth last week pastor trevor began a series on spiritual warfare titled armed and ready some of the things we need to keep in mind from what he spoke about as we're going through today is that while we are most definitely in a battle we need to approach that battle from the from the knowledge that the battle is ultimately the lord's pastor reminded us that because the battle is the Lord's and he is incapable of losing a battle, believers of Christ have been given the victory through what he did for us on the cross. And even though we have a victory, the enemy continues to fight, even though his defeat is inevitable. The enemy, as we see in the word, prowls like a roaring lion to see who he can devour. I love the fact that this is uh, of this simile here, that he, he prowls like a roaring lion. He's compared to a lion, which means he's not really one. And I remember growing up, and the church elders used to say that the devil makes a lot of noise. He roars, but the real lion, the real lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he took his teeth. <laughs> a real lion does not roar when he's in the process of hunting. The toothless lion the toothless lion can't really hunt, so he hopes that his roars will paralyze his prey into submission. Maybe that's what's happened to some of us at some point. We believe the enemy's loud lies over God's gentle yet unshakable truths. This leads me to what we're going to be focusing on today. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will be studying the whole armor of God, piece by piece, as described in Ephesians 6. I love how Paul reminds us to put on all 
of the armor of God. This is not a menu for us to pick and choose from. Paul knows that we need every aspect of the armor of God to be victorious in the spiritual war in which we find ourselves. And we will continue to find ourselves until Christ returns for his people. Church, make no mistake, we have an enemy of our souls whose purpose is to lead us astray from what he used to have, which was communion with God. He wants to lead us astray from what he never had, ultimate sonship and daughtership with him, a living inheritance as God's children. Now, I have not been in the armed forces, but I think those who have been would agree with me that the worst thing a soldier could be on the battlefield is in denial about the war or battle that's raging on around them. Imagine a soldier in the middle of the fray, in the middle, in the middle of the fray of the battle saying, there is no war happening. Would that be someone you could count on? Would that be someone you imagine would leave the battlefield alive? As Christians, we cannot be ignorant of the battle we are in. We cannot be apathetic and say, well, this will all blow over soon. We have to be aware of what is happening. And more than aware, we must be committed to the cause. Please don't mistake this commitment to spiritual warfare as being uh, someone who's warmongering uh, and aggressive behavior. Some of the sweetest church mothers I grew up around who would never hurt a fly and would greet you with, such a, with, with a sweet, hey baby, were some of the bravest battle-tested warriors in the kingdom of God. The sweet old ladies were the ones who I wanted by my side when walking into spiritual battle. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to dive into the first piece of the armor of God that Paul mentions, which is the belt of truth. But before I do, I really wanted to stress the fact that spiritual warfare is no joke. Spiritual warfare is real, and we all live it on a day-to-day -day basis. I have seen tides turn through the prayer of the saints. I never forget that in my first or my first three months as a young pastor in Puerto Rico, I get a phone call from a man <clears throat> who had been visiting our church for a while. And he tells me, Pastor, I need you to come to my house right now because my wife and I are fighting and are so angry, I don't know what we're capable of doing to each other. Valerie and I were actually on our way to church and he lived very close to the church. I was, uh, I was scared, honestly. I felt like this was going to be uh, a trial by fire in my first three months as a young pastor. And here I was walking into a difficult marriage situation when I had only been married for a few months myself. As I tell this story, uh, I remember that we were rookies. So any mistakes you feel that we made during the telling of this story, uh, we have learned a lot since then. That being said, I dropped Valerie off at the church so she could be with the youth who uh, were going to be leading the service that day. I went into the couple's house. Uh, I remember I was dressed in a shirt and a tie. I probably had a jacket like this one. But when I walked in there, the tension could be cut with a knife. There was a strong sense of oppression. And I immediately started praying, asking for wisdom. It was basically a screaming match. Verbal insults flying from both sides with their young pastors a witness. 
I would try to speak, I, I, I would try to have one be quiet long enough so the other one can hear the other's complaints and perspective. But they were so defensive that they would not let each other finish just a few words without being at each other's throats. I felt in over my head. I felt like a failure. I felt like I was not helping at all. I was just there to witness the end of a marriage. At that moment, I took my phone and I texted my wife. It was a short, to the point, but with urgency text message that I knew that my wife, who's a fellow minister and prayer warrior, would understand. Val, I need the church to pray now. Later on, I would find out that Valerie, at that moment, stopped the regular program of the church, took the microphone and said, Church, the pastor texted me that he needs us to pray for him right now. He is dealing with a spiritual situation and he is asking the church to join and cover him in prayer and the church began to pray. As I wrote this, uh, uh, this I was right, as I was writing the sermon, I, I truly felt the presence of God and I feel it now because while I did not know exactly what was happening at the church, less than two minutes after I sent that text message, the tide began to turn. I felt a divine authority wash over me. Without raising my voice, I began to speak life into this married couple's lives and marriages and marriage. When before they would talk over me, all of a sudden the room, the room grew quiet and they listened attentively. They began to take turns speaking. The Holy Spirit filled the room and gave me words and wisdom that I knew for a fact did not come from me. By the time I left, they were crying, embracing one another, asking each other and the Lord for forgiveness. The environment in the room had changed completely. The oppressive spirit was gone and of course the people needed continual counseling but that moment is one I will never forget. I walked in there with a suit and in that island heat after I left that house I was disheveled and my sleeves rolled up, my tie hanging loosely from my neck but with a spiritual victory won. When I arrived to the church without going into details I told the church that I had felt their prayers powerfully as the Lord shifted things in the spiritual atmosphere. And that is when Val told me that when they began to pray for me, the presence of God power, powerfully filled the church and an intercessor, intercessory spirit also filled the church. And they were aware of the battle, they were committed to it, and God made things happen. Spiritual warfare is real, it's not a game. Today we're going to talk about the belt of truth and this speaks commitment to the cause. Are we committed, saints? Are we in this for the long haul? You don't put on your belt unless you're getting ready to go somewhere. A belt speaks of getting ready to move. It speaks of commitment to the cause. One of the greatest tragedies for my dad was to see me as a kid trying to leave the house without a belt. He was, also, he was always telling me, put on your belt, put on your belt. It's something that I cannot today leave without, but it has happened. I have, in the rush, left the house and forgotten my belt, and it's literally the most annoying thing in the world for me. Because I know that until I get home, not only do I have to work, not only do I have to do everything that I have to do, but I have to hold up my pants the whole day, making sure that everything doesn't come crashing down, if you know what I mean. Not having a belt for me feels like I'm trying to hold up my life with my hands and if I let go, 
Things will come crashing down in my pride along with it. When I have my belt though, my hands are free. Free to do what they actually need to be doing instead of holding my pants up. I am free to move, I am free to run, and if I need, uh, run if I need to, and because things are held together, I'm free. When we think of John 8.32, we think of Jesus saying, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When we think about the belt of truth, we think about how Paul, he writes this letter of Ephesians in prison. And he observed Roman soldiers come and go, and that was his daily view, that uniform, that armor. He became so familiar with it and saw in it a way to illustrate how God does not leave us to our own devices when it comes to us fighting in spiritual warfare. He has laid out armor and weapons for us to use. As we read in, uh, read in verse, verse 2, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Sorry, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. Um, For though we live in the world, we do not rage world, rage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We have spiritual weapons. And I love how Paul uses the soldiers that are guarding him while he was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus as material to help him better explain the message of Jesus. He sees the armor and says, I'm going to give this visual to the church in Ephesus to comprehend how we get ready for war. And while the Roman soldiers were not his only inspiration, um, as we're going to see a little bit later on, definitely was something that he had in front of him. We have to get ready for war. Some of us want to go into a spiritual battle with our spiritual PJs on. How many of you watching have been in a Zoom meeting during this quarantine and only got legitimately dressed from the waist up? Because that's all they were going to see. I promise you in this message that I'm recording, I have pants on. I will neither conform, has anybody had a shirt or tie for the interview of a meeting but you were also wearing pajama pants? Now, I will neither confirm nor deny those accusations about myself in any Zoom meetings, but know this, that won't cut it for the war we are in. We cannot afford to put on only what we think people will see or what we think we need. We need the whole armor of God. When Paul mentions the belt of truth, it was one of the first things that a soldier would put on, a belt. While most people only wore tunics and robes to walk around, that was fine for a stroll, but a person who could be in a battle, fighting for their life at any minute, needed to first put on their belt. And there are three things over the next few minutes that I would like to highlight about why truth can best be symbolized by a belt. Number one, putting on a belt implies commitment to go to battle. This was the first thing the soldier put on over his tunic. This was the first piece that would turn ordinary leisure wear into a battle-ready uniform. By putting on the belt, we're saying, I am committed to the truth of the gospel and, and what it means for my life and for the world. It's worth fighting for. 
I am committed to the truth of the gospel and I know that it is worth fighting for. Many are not committed to the cause of the gospel. When it gets tough, they'll say, well, I'll just stick with the tunic. That means I'm not going into the fray today. But as I mentioned in another sermon, the enemy does not take days off from going after your soul. He does not take days off when going after your family. We cannot be committed to the truth of the gospel on Sunday and try to cruise the west the rest of the week. We cannot commit only when you see clearly now and you cannot commit only when the rain is gone. You cannot commit only when there are no obstacles in your way. And yes, I just quoted a song. Thomas Paine, a famous patriot, whose way with words helped convince many everyday colonists to rise up against the British Empire, once wrote these words in the face of dire issues that were making soldiers desert their posts and go home. Some of the issues were extreme cold, lack of nourishment, impossible odds, and being away from their families and loneliness during Christmas time. He appropriately called his essay, The Crisis. And this is how it begins. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered, yet we have consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. These are the times that try men's souls. And he talks about being, a, he, he makes a distinction between the soldier who is a summer soldier and a sunshine patriot. We cannot be summer soldiers, church. We cannot be sunshine Christians. In other words, soldiers that only fight when the sun is out. Soldiers that you can only count on them when everything is fine and dandy. Putting on the belt of truth implies, Lord, I will walk in your truth today, no matter how it is going. I will believe your word over the lies of the enemy, over the lies of the enemy that he's throwing my way. I will fight the good fight and run the race set before me. I will commit to your will and to your way unto death the way you committed unto death and death on a cross. My mom used to sing me this old James Taylor song, winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call and I'll be there. I want that to be our mindset. We want to be ready and willing. We want to be available for you, God. Like that song says, I say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. The second point I want to bring up is the same way a belt holds all the pieces of the armor together, truth holds everything together in our lives. We will touch on God's word as truth in my last point, but we must notice that Paul separated God's word as be, being the sword of the spirit. He gave it its own piece of the armor. And he, so he separated that from, from truth. So truth in this sense can also be taken as the sense of truthfulness, to walk in honesty, truthfulness before God, 
To walk in honesty and truthfulness before God is to remove some of the greatest weapons that the enemy has against us. Remember, the enemy is the father of lies. That is what he spreads, but he's also an accuser. A lot of us struggle in spiritual warfare because when it's time to fight, we are bombarded by our hidden sin, unconfessed rebellion towards God. The enemy uses this ammunition against us. And if we have not been honest with God and confessed our sins, if we try to live lives of, of hypocrisy, we are not fastening the belt of truth. And we will find ourselves trying to hold up all of the lies and seeing our integrity fall. We end up stumbling over our own lies. God wants you to be free, church. God wants you to be free in, to run in truth, not stumbling over our deception. A belt was used by soldiers to take things that were usually flowing like a, like a tunic they were, and tie up these loose ends and fasten them so they would not get in the way. It implies getting certain things out of the way in order to prepare to run from temptation and run towards God's truth. Church, the Bible teaches us that sin entangles us. Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Removing the sin that so easily entangles and ensnares us. I always think of uh, when something is tangled, I, I can't help but think of when I was a kid and, and I had to either wash the car or do something with the hose outside. And my dad would, would always tell me, Javi, when you're going to put the hose back, make sure that you put it in a correct way so when you need to use it again, it's not all full of knots. I didn't always listen. After I would finish washing the car, I would just take the hose, throw it back there, and the next time I wanted to use it, I would grab the hose head and I start walking away, and all of a sudden you have that moment where you're yanked. You're yanked back because of all the knots inside of the hose. And when you would, you're sometimes, you know, me and my lazy self, I would turn the water on and say, well, maybe it's going to work like that. And I would try to use the hose and you would see that no water could come out of the hose because of all the knots. I needed to untangle the hose first in order for the water to flow. Church, we need to untangle the webs of sin. We need to let the Lord work in us so that we can untangle those webs of sin in order to let God's presence flow through us, to let his truth flow through us. The thing about not, a lot of times not uh, putting the hose the way you were supposed to, was the fact that if it was outside, it would get dirty. And then when it was time to unentangle it, you had all the water and the dirt that had kind of caked over it. And by the time when you wanted to get in there and untangle, your hands were dirty. And it can be messy sometimes to deal with sin, but the Lord gets right in there with us and he cleans us, he washes us. Church, what are the things that God is telling you to remove from the way? What has been holding back your freedom of movement so you can draw nearer to him? 
what behaviors and attitudes have had us stuck. A soldier needs to be free to move. This is why the Bible says a few times in the, you see it in the King James Version, gird up your loins. It literally means get ready, tighten things up, put your belt on. It's time to move. Paul takes this imagery, not only from soldiers, but in Isaiah 11.5, in the New Living Translation, it says, uh, he's speaking of God. Isaiah says, he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. The Lord walks in truth. It is part of his essence, it is part of his core, and it must be ours as well. The beauty of living a life of truth is that we resemble Jesus, who is the truth, and always speaks the truth, instead of resembling the enemy, who is the father of lies. We want to be more like our Father in heaven. Psalm 51 says that our God delights in truth. It is who he is, and when we live in truth, a life of confession, we disarm the enemy in his attacks. The attacks he uses to accuse us. Because everything he comes to accuse us with, to the Father, we already talk to the Father about. That's the beauty of confession. That's the beauty of, of going to the Lord and asking for forgiveness and not trying to hide our sin. We are forgiven and restored and we are free to move to wherever God sends us to do battle. We're free to pray. We are free, free to, to fast. We're free to spread the gospel because we're not stumbling over our deceptions and lies and hypocrisy. And there's nothing the enemy can use to accuse us because we've already presented it to the Father. We have taken away that major weapon. Paul says quite a few times in this passage in Ephesians that we must stand, stand firm. He says it three or four different times. Stand firm so that you can stand firm we can stand firm on the solid ground of truth. When you know you have the truth, you walk confidently. The beauty is that the truth that we stand on though is not our own. We don't have to be afraid that it's going to crumble underneath us because it's false truths that we have built up and we're just there hoping that it stands up against the test of time. We're talking about the truth of God. The truth of God who, that has standed across eternity. The truth of God of God who does not change, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God's truth is a rock. It's a fortress that we can stand in, that we can find refuge in when the enemy brings forth his lies and attacks. Stand firm, church. Stand firm on the solid ground of God's truth. My third and final point this morning is that we must embrace the truth as revealed in God's Word. While the sword of the Spirit will deal more in depth with the Word of God, we must acknowledge God's Word is ultimate truth. Jesus praying for His disciples in John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth. And while there are things that are relative, God's word is not. It is easy to see that the bar for truth is constantly moving in our society. What is right today and what is true today is wrong tomorrow and vice versa. The enemy is the father of lies and will continue to lead us to try to, for us to determine our own truths, to be wise in our own opinions. But Jesus did not stutter in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. We cannot assume that because we are around the truth, 
that it will rub off on us. I'm going to say that again. We have to remember that and we cannot assume that because we are around the truth, it will just rub off on us. That we are around church folk, then the truth will rub off on us. That we go to the church and we listen to the, to the sermons and we listen to the songs and this is not talking about something that rubs off on us. It is possible to be face to face with the truth and still miss it. We can be right next to the truth and miss out on its transformational power. Just look at Pontius Pilate, who in his conversation with Jesus, before he had him crucified in John 18, 37 and 38, Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Pilate looks at Jesus in the eye and he asks him, what is truth? And he turns away. Pilate does not stay there and wait for Jesus' response. It was more of a rhetorical question in the sense of there is no such thing as truth. Truth is relative. Imagine looking straight at the way, the truth, and the life and missing the truth. We must embrace the truth of God fully or we can miss it. Growing up in church, always around Jesus, but never fully committing and admitting that he is the ultimate truth. Because when you admit that Jesus is the truth, that his word is true, it will alter everything around you. It will alter how you see things. It will alter how you view the world. It will alter your interactions with others. It will alter your behavior, your mindset. So if that has not happened with the Word of God, if that has not happened through Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, have we truly accepted Him as my ultimate truth? As the answer to every question? As the only water that satisfies all thirst? If we do not believe that His Word is truth, how will we last against the bombardment of the enemy's lies? we will be swayed so easily. And the enemy's tactics have been the same since day one, church. The armor helps us stand firm against the strategies of the devil, is what Paul says. But nobody says there, was, there were new strategies. He will place doubts on what God has said and then follow it up with a lie and leads us to temptation. He did this with Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. He establishes doubt. He asks Eve, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He plants the seed of doubt. Did he really say that? And then he comes with the lie, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. After God had spoken clearly. He did the same with Jesus after he was baptized. The heavens opened up. God's voice says from heaven about Jesus, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right after, Jesus is led by the Spirit to the wilderness or desert. Satan encounters him in the desert. And the first thing he asks him is, If you are truly the son of God, Think about that. God has just finished saying, you are my son. And when he goes to the desert and he's in a tough situation, the enemy 
plans to doubt if you are the son of God. This is an old dog and he has not learned new tricks. But as they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's the same tactic dressed in different ways. But when you are in God's word, filling yourself with his truth, you begin to recognize the enemy is going, you begin to recognize the enemy and that he's going to bring doubt over what God just spoke into your life. You can recognize and rebuke those thoughts. Do you know that we serve a trustworthy God whose essence is truth? Numbers 23, 19 reminds us that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? We live in a world of broken promises and God is not like that person in your life who has given you broken promises, who has broken promises. God is not that person in your life. Do not equate God with the, per with the people in your life who have promised and failed. God is trustworthy. He describes himself to John in Revelation. It says, and he who was seated on the throne behold, says, behold, I am making all things new. And he says, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Church, you can trust him. He will, will never and he never will lie to you. Now, sometimes the truth hurts, but the truth saves. The truth preserves. The truth brings peace. The truth frees us. And the truth doesn't even have to scream. Even when there's a lot of lies, when people lie, it's, the lies seem to scream a lot louder than the truth does. But the truth doesn't scream because the truth is exactly that, it's the truth. Nothing can change that fact. In Puerto Rico, there's a saying, two plus two is four, even if a crazy person says it. The truth is the truth. And the, beauty, the beautiful thing about God's truth is that it is greater than my reality. This does not mean that I live in a fantasy world. This does not mean that I'm not aware of the situations that are in front of me. What it means is that the reality can say I'm going through a situation, but God's truth says he will never leave me nor forsake me. Now I accept that reality, but I accept that that truth is stronger and greater than that reality and has ultimate power over it. My reality says that I have a diagnosis that has shaken me to my core. We're not ignoring that. We have our feet in the ground. We'll go to the doctor. But we also know that God's truth has said, by his stripes, we are healed. Brother, sister, friend that is listening to me, you don't have to hold your life together with your bare hands. Fasten God's truth around you like a belt. Jesus is our truth. His word is our truth. He holds all things together. Today, we will commit to the gospel of truth. We believe that salvation is worth fighting for. And by fastening the first part of the armor of God, I commit to putting the rest of the armor on. Amen? I'm not putting on the helmet and, and you know, just kind of leaving the breastplate of righteousness over there and I'll put the belt on later. No, by putting on the belt, I commit to putting the rest of the armor on. The belt of truth is what many of the other parts of the armor are actually fastened to, especially the sword. Today, we will no longer hold on to deceit 
and living in hidden shame and sin that ensnares us. We will confess our sins to the one who is faithful to forgive us and restore us. We will walk in truth in Jesus' name. We will surrender that which has been holding us hostage from being able to move freely in the move of the Holy Spirit. And finally, today, we embrace the Word of God as our absolute truth. We believe that God is not a liar, that Jesus is not a liar, that the Holy Spirit is not a liar, which means that the promises of God are yes and amen. We serve a trustworthy Father. We will not be swayed by opinion and every wind of doctrine. We will fasten God's truth around us and it will help us recognize the old yet effective tricks of the enemy. And remember that God's truth is stronger than my reality. And I want us to take a moment to pray. Let us confess our sins to God. And if the Spirit leads you to one another, we are going to study we're going to go on to study the other parts of the armor of God, but it starts today with commitment. The belt of truth is where it starts. Let us commit to the one who gave it all for us. Don't hold back. As the song says, withholding nothing. I pray that we, may we resemble our Lord and Savior, who is truth. And I pray that we can stand firm against the strategies of the enemy by standing firm on the rock that is the truth of God.